He is risen. Amen. And because he lives, we have that promise in, in us as well, that one day we we're going to live with him. If you are visiting today, thank you for choosing to worship God with us. We are so honored and we are so excited to have you here in our family in Midtown, Grace Midtown. So if um, take a moment and we would love to be in touch with you. If you can just give us your information. Uh, we promise not to back you. We're only going to give that information to all the different political parties. No, just kidding. <laughs> we just want to be in touch with you, and we would like to tell you and share with what the Lord is doing in our lives. We are gathering here because we want to celebrate. We want to celebrate that Jesus is no longer in the tomb. He resurrected as he promised. And today we celebrate, and all over the world, Christians from many places gather together in an in a Easter Sunday like today to celebrate that, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. The empty tomb is a powerful testimony to God's unlimited grace and forgiveness for all of us, bringing us hope, bringing us healing, bringing us also transformation in our lives. Sadly, even a day like today, it might not be as significant for many people as well. Even those inside the church, but for sure those outside the church, this day can be lacking significance because they don't understand the power, the power of the resurrection. Without realizing, many of us, we can block the power of Christ's resurrection due to our inability to forgive. We can talk about the story. We can mention again and again what happened on that wonderful day. But talking about the resurrection doesn't change the fact that the, the resurrection has power to change us. And this is exactly what we're going to talk today. The way that we can block the power to go through us toward others is when we are resistant to forgive and to us for forgiveness, which is the essence of Easter as well. Imagine, imagine for a moment that you are carrying a sack full of rocks, full of stones, and every wrong that you are committing or any wrong that somebody is committing against you, you are putting a rock inside the sack. Little by little, that sack will be heavier and heavier and heavier. It will be impossible to drag it with you. What if I tell you that there is a way that you can drop the sack in front of the cross today? That you can be alleviated, that you can be free from carrying that many things inside you. That's the essence of Easter. C.S. Lewis said one time, forgiveness is a beautiful word until you have something to forgive. And that is true. That is true. But if it wasn't for that forgiveness, if it wasn't for that grace of God bestowed upon all of us, what would be the significance of the resurrection? This is the practical aspect. It's beautiful to think about Christ rising from the dead. It's beautiful to talk about the story. But if we are not really sincere and honest before the Lord, understanding that even though that grace is free for us, it really was costly for him, for his son, Jesus Christ. So as we explore the transformative power of Easter, 
Let us, let us examine our hearts today. Let, let us examine our minds and uncover the barriers that might prevent from fully experiencing and sharing the life-changing grace and forgiveness that we have in Christ through the resurrection. So let's rejoice in Christ today. Let's rejoice in Christ's boundless grace and transform lives by sharing his forgiveness, his forgiving love. That is the message of the resurrection for you and me today. You know what? One way that we can symbolize God's grace is when we imagine that there is a bridge to cross. The grace of God is that bridge where forgiveness from him is coming to us. And that beautiful grace is lying continuous in front of us, bringing forgiveness for all the wrongs that we're committing. And every time you ask the Lord for forgiveness, he is merciful enough to forgive us our trespasses. When we open the passage that we're going to study today in Matthew chapter 18, there is a beautiful story that represents for all of us what resurrection is all about. The grace of God, the vertical grace and the horizontal grace, the two dimensions of God's grace. You know what? Grace has the shape of a cross. Because we are talking about God's forgiveness to us, but it's not complete if it's only that way. It has to extend it to others. So that's why grace has a shape of a cross. And that's exactly where Jesus Christ on that cross demonstrated the love for his Father and the love for humanity. As he died on that cross, but the power of death didn't keep him in that cross. He, as he promised, resurrected on the third day. So that bridge is the one that we're going to be reflecting this morning. It helps us to dissolve any resentment, any result bitterness, any difference that we might have. Why? Because we need to remember that we have been forgiven far more of the things that we ever can forgive in another individual. So if you brought your Bibles, let's reflect on this bidimensional grace of God, the vertical grace, the grace of God to us, his forgiveness, and the grace of God through us toward others. Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35. We're going to be focusing on this wonderful grace of God through the forgiveness that we receive with the hope that at the end of this message, we are willing to forgive others as we are being forgiven. Let's analyze first the vertical grace. Rejoice in the immense forgiveness that you have received in Christ. Rejoice in the immense forgiveness that you have received in Christ. You know what? Forgiveness doesn't come natural for us. I personally can tell you, it's not easy for me even to preach about this. Because like you, in many ways, I have been wrong many times. I have been misunderstood. In many ways, people have been abusing my trust. So it's hard to forgive. It's not natural for a human being to do that. But we believe in a so 
supernatural God who invites us to be like him. So by his power and through his power, by his spirit and through his spirit, we, are, we, we have the possibility to experience that grace and extend that grace. As a matter of fact, it was him when he was on the cross. When he looked, the people who were in front of him, those who were putting him into that cross, and he was able to say, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And despite being betrayed, falsely accused, beaten, spat on, unjustly crucified, he was able to forgive those who were wronged him. So, Jesus was with his disciples, and for the first time in a few days, he was alone with them. The Pharisees were not there. And he started telling them a story, a wonderful story, a parable, just to illustrate an important truth that he wanted for them to memorize. He was telling, him about, telling them about when somebody has something against you, you need to stop everything that you're doing. You need to go and try to reconcile with that person. And then you can come back and continue your worship to him. Then he was explaining that formula. He was telling them, when somebody has something against you, this is what you need to do. You go and talk to that person. And if that person listens to you and you reconcile to that person, you're winning your, your brother. But if your brother doesn't want to listen to you, you bring somebody else with you and talk to this person. And if that person is not listening to both of you, then you take into the church. And in many ways, you apply the discipline. That was the teaching that Jesus was having with his disciples. The way that they need, in some ways, to handle conflict in the church. But that was at that moment when Peter was asking a question. He, he came to the Lord and he, he, he wanted to know a little bit more about, about that situation. He came to him with this Point of question, it says, Lord, verse 21, chapter 18 of Matthew, Lord, how often, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Peter was asking about the limits of forgiveness. He was not opposed about forgiving, but he was Asking, how long? How long can we forgive this other believer? How long can we do that? How long can we continue to, to just to tolerate them? I mean, as a matter of fact, you don't want us to, for us to be a mat so everybody can st step on? So, Lord, tell me, what is the limit? How many times we can forgive? Seven? According to the traditions... The Jewish rabbis at that time were saying, you know, when another believer wronged you, you got three times. They invented the baseball rules. Three and you're out. <laughs> three times. And probably they got that information from chapter one of the book of Amos, prophet Amos, when he was saying that the Lord will visit the nations uh, and only three times, but the fourth, he will bring condemnation. So maybe they were getting that idea from that. But Jesus, Jesus was, was explaining about 
the forgiveness and everything that they need to do. And Peter was coming, okay, Lord, I'm going to be generous here. Can we forgive that individual seven times? I mean, three, and you double the number, six, and one pilon, one plus, one. And we got seven, the perfect number. Is that, is that okay, Jesus? I mean, not so long ago, when Jesus was asking, who do people think that I am? And then he asked the disciples, who do you think I am? It was Peter, the one who responded, you are the Christ. You are the son of the most high. And Jesus was commanding him, Peter, you, you are right. And I know the Lord, my father, is telling you that. So he was expecting that by him saying seven times, he would receive another commendation from Jesus, but he was wrong. Because the way that Jesus responded on verse 22, the 22, it, it was different. He said, no, Peter, I'm not saying that seven times, but actually 70 times seven. 70 times seven? He couldn't hold it. He got his iPhone, get the calculator, and start punching the numbers. <laughs> 490 times? That's a lot, Lord. Whew. He, he really did that. This is just an assumption. He probably missed the point. Because Jesus was not given a literal limit so that people could keep a track. He was employing what we know as a figure of speech, hyperbole. He was an exaggeration. In some ways, he was telling a number, not for somebody to make the math and give us the answer. He was talking about the limitless forgiveness that we need to offer to those who wrong us. And perhaps Jesus had in mind Lamech's boastful declaration in Genesis 4:24, when he was talking about the killing of Cain. He said, if someone who kills Cain is punished seven times, then the one who kills me will be punished 70 times seven. It's not a formula. It's not a number. It's just a hyperbole. It's, it's, it's in some way saying, do it as many times. The difference is Jesus used probably that saying and changed it to the opposite meaning. He was thinking about that we need to respond for the wrongs that we are receiving from others, the willingness to forgive when they ask us for forgiveness. So think about how likely it is for you to wait 490 times and forgive 490 times. Who can endure that? No one. I mean, imagine that. So this is not what he's saying. In summary, what Jesus was saying here, don't keep a score. Don't keep a list of the wrongs that you're receiving. And Paul mentioned the same thing in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, when he says, love keeps no record of being wronged. So keeping a record of wrongs should not be an option for a true believer of Christ. Forget it. If somebody wronged you and you are mad, that's fine. 
But when that person comes to you and asks for forgiveness, don't hold grudges against that person. Forgive him, even though you don't feel it. Because forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a decision. And when you make a decision, you are doing it consciously because the Lord who forgive you a bigger sin, if you want to call it that way, that many things, is asking you that you need to be willing to forgive. And to prove his point, to make this lesson come home in the baseball jargon, to hit a home run, he told him a story. He told him this parable that is right there. And you know this parable of the unforgiving servant. Right there, we can see in Matthew 18, verse 23, that the Lord starts telling them about the kingdom of heaven. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with his servants, who had borrowed some money from him. In the process, one of his debtors, debtors was, brought in, was brought in. He owns millions of dollars. Let me make a pause here. You know that in this story, we can find some comparison. Even though we cannot find any uh, comparison with every single detail, we know that the king here represents God the Father. And the servants, in this case, the disciples. For the first time, the Pharisees were not among the ones who were listening to Jesus' teaching, just the disciples. He was doing some intense training about conflict resolution in the church. And he took advantage of that moment and the question that Peter asked to give an answer and teach him something deeper that they can remember as a principle, as a truth. And when he mentioned the kingdom, he's not referring himself to the heaven where, where, where God lives. When Jesus talks about the kingdom, he's talking about the kingdom living, a way of life. So a way of life that characterizes the follower of Christ has to be someone who is willing to forgive as many times as he is asked to be forgiven. So this parable clearly illustrates the two dimensions, dimensions of grace. The grace of God toward us and the grace of God from us toward others who have wronged us, even though when they don't deserve it. That's why it's called grace. Grace, forgiveness of God toward us. The king representing God the Father, the servant representing the disciples, and the money that is presenting here is the unlimited, the not limit quantity. One of these servants owed the king 10,000 talents. Someone calculate the value of the talent in the parables, but it's hard to make a number of this because we don't know if they were silver talents or gold talents, but someone smarter than me come up with this number. And he's saying, this parable probably was talking about a salary equivalent of 6,000 days of work for an average worker. Let me, for you who are economists, hold on. Be patient with me. For example, in Texas, let's assume that the minimum 
was 7.25. It changed, but that's when I got my calculation. So 7.25 per hour multiplied by eight hours a day, it gives you 58 US dollars per day. If this amount is multiplied by 6,000 days of work, which is what a talent is worth, it gives $348,000. Wait, there's more. Multiply that number for 10,000 talents. And you know what the dollar is? 3.48 billion US dollars. I mean, I know it's a story, okay? Jesus is trying to put a point. But I was thinking, who in the world is asking that kind of money? <laughs> I mean, a servant, a slave, what is he doing with that money? He will be the king somewhere else. But it's a story. It's not necessarily accurate. Jesus is proving a point. He doesn't want you to start using your calculators and make numbers. He is telling you that this is the value. This is the unlimited value of a debt of somebody has. Because in his mind, he's trying to present a story about the debt that our sin has before our king, God. We are sinners by birth and by choice. And our sin is creating a huge debt that we, there is no way that we can pay. Even if we try, we can't pay it. Therefore, this is what Jesus is trying to explain to his disciples. This servant owed that much money, and there is no way. He probably needs not only his entire life, but probably 10 more lives like he has to be able to give a little bit like an advancement on that payment. So just figure. Verse 25. He couldn't pay to his master what he did. He ordered it that he would be sold. Along with his wife, his children, and everything that he owned. Just to pay the debt. In other words, justice would have dictated that this servant, his wife, his children, and all his possessions to be sold... And even then, the amount gained would be just a little drop of water in a huge bucket of the debt that he has. In situations like this, there is only one option. Looks, verse 26. But the man fell down before the, his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Have you noticed this phrase before when you read that story? I will pay it all. In a dramatical, emotional scene, this poor servant begs for mercy from the king who is so moved by compassion. And look what he did in verse 27. Then his master was filled with pity, with compassion for him. So he released him and forgave his debt. Three observations that we can get for these verses. First, it suggests that the king is very generous. Because in this time, a king who is owned that much money, he's not sending anybody to the prison. He will send it to be executed and take everything from them. So he is generous because he is sending to the prison debtors. 
So uh, until he can pay. Observation number two. The servant promised to pay all his debt. Can you imagine that? So in many ways, this servant is not conscious about the amount of his debt. He's not conscious about the enormous debt that he has toward the king. He's just being absurd, just trying to win some time maybe. And the third observation is Jesus astonishingly reveals that the king not only reduced the debt, negotiated the debt, he forgave, he canceled his debt. Are you ready for this? Jesus is demonstrating that God is rich in mercy and is willing to forgive even what is seemingly immeasurable debt. So don't you ever think that your sin is so big that God cannot forgive. Don't ever you think that what you have done is that wrong that the grace of God cannot reach you wherever you are. Because the God that you have who owns everything, who owns you, who created you, he is willing to forgive you when you, with a humble heart, come to him and ask for forgiveness for his mercy. And God is full of mercy that he will forgive all your sin and trespasses. But always remember, grace is free only because the giver himself has assumed the high cost. And that's exactly what Jesus did on that cross. That's why we celebrate Easter. That's why we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Not only because that means that he defeated death, it means that he was willing to carry your death and my death on his back and put it in nail it on that cross. By his death, you and I have been forgiven. By his resurrection, you and I have a promise of being with him, whatever he is. And that's good news for all of us who trust in him. And that's what he offers for you. Forgiveness and cancellation are your debt, your sin. This is a perfect illustration. This is what the salvation of our souls means. Christ died to free us from the huge debt of sin. The word forgiveness that Peter is using here is the same word, release, that is used in verse 21, in verse 27. Archibald Hart describes the act of forgiveness, giving up the right to hurt you for hurting me. God doesn't forgive or forget your sins, even though we read it poetically in the Bible. That he forget our sins. No, 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 no. God doesn't have amnesia. What God is doing, he's choosing not to remember, which is a very different thing. So you don't forget somebody who can wrong you, but you can choose not to remember those wrongs so you can forgive the person. Not because you feel like it, because you are trying to be like Christ, who is willing to forgive your own sins. That's why when you can forgive, and we have to forgive others. That's what a godly person, godly means God-like. That will make us more like him. So remember that. The reason the Lord demonstrates compassion is because he releases us from the penalty of sin. I don't know how many of you watched the movie The Last Emperor. 
But in one scene, that little kid who became the most powerful man or little boy in history was an emperor of China. One time, speaking to his friend, saying, so, hey, you, what do you do when you make a mistake? And the little boy was telling him, well, if I made a mistake, somebody had to pay for it. And to demonstrate that, he grabbed a base and threw it to the floor and broke it. So one of the slaves that he has was punished and was whipped because of what he did. It's interesting. God changes that for us. Because when we as servants made the mistakes and we made the wrongs, it is the king, the one who is punished for us. And that's what the world cannot understand. That's why the God that you and I believe is the only God who is able to accomplish these things. So the next scene in the parable shifts from the vertical grace to the horizontal grace. And this is where the rubber meets the road for, me, for you and me. Because it's so easy to accept and receive God's grace to us. Who doesn't want to have that, right? All of us want more and more grace, more and more forgiveness. But the problem is, it's not stopping there. It has to flow through you. It has to extend to others. The grace that you receive, you need to extend it to other believers, to other people as well. The forgiveness that you receive, it has to be there so you can forgive others as well. This is... What he's trying to explain, the second part, verse 28. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for a little bit more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it. He pleaded, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put it in prison until the debt could be paid in full. So this second servant owed to this first servant 100 denarii. It's not one talent, it's 100 denarii. A denarii represented the salary of one day of work, roughly Maybe $5,000, $500, if you're working so hard. Equal $58, one denarii. Multiplied by 100, this man owed 5800 US dollars to this other individual. How big was his debt? Almost $5 billion. And this man was owing him only $5,000. You know what? If he let me, maybe we can, we can collect some money and we can help this poor man, right? So he doesn't have to go to bed. Maybe that's our contribution for this man not to go to jail. So it's possible for him to get the money to work and pay that. But the first servant, the one that was forgiven all that big debt, was not willing to wait. He put it in prison. Nothing wrong with what he did. Let me, let me explain to you. He wanted to apply justice. And in this time, justice was you owe and you cannot pay, you go to prison. And that's exactly what he did. He applied justice to him. Nothing wrong in that way. Morally, yes. But judicially, no, he did exactly what he was supposed to be doing. But the problem is, 
He was not acting the way that the king was acting with him. Mercifully. He didn't want to do that. So he sent him to prison. In almost exact replay, the second servant was asking to the first, please, please, just give me some time and I will pay it all. And that was more possible. For $5,000, that was possible. This is astonishing. This is what happened. God is forgiving you and me a debt that you and I cannot pay. And who we are when we hold grudges and we don't want to forgive another individual. We only owe, that person only owes us $5,000. But we have $5 billion that were forgiven to us. That makes you and me hypocrites when we say no. No. That put you in a higher position than Christ himself. And that is exactly what you need to remember the next time that you feel like, no, I cannot forgive. No, you won't. You can, but you don't want to. But if you are obedient, oh, pastor, you don't know what he, this person did to me. Oh, you don't know what they were able to do. Oh, no, I don't know, but God knows. And the God who knows you is telling you that you need to be willing to forgive as many times as possible. Because that's the power of the resurrection. That's exactly what he did on the cross. That's exactly what he did when the tomb was empty. And show us that he overcome the death. It's so beautiful to sing and praise the Lord for the miracle of the resurrection. But the miracle of the resurrection is nullified when you and I we're not doing exactly what he was able to demonstrate on that cross in the empty top. That's the Easter. That's the practical application for Easter for you and me. Not just singing and say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Now that you know that he is risen, therefore, we need to be exactly like he is. Yes. And we need to imitate exactly what he asks us to do. This is astonishing. This is a story. But the story doesn't end here. The first servant, guess what is coming from him? Look, verse 31. When someone of the other servants saw him, saw him doing this, probably it was known in the, in the city what the king was doing to this first servant, the, the forgiveness of his unpayable debt. When his, they saw him that he was not willing to forgive this other servant, they went to tell the king. They were upset and they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. So after hearing that story, Jesus wants that you and me can be angry with this first servant. Because the way that he is acting. And you know what exactly what the king did? Verse 32. Then the king called the first man and asked the man that he forgave him and said, You evil servant. Can you imagine that? If we don't want to forgive anybody, can you imagine if we receive those words from our Lord? You evil Christian. You evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent them into prison. To be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. 
because of the debtor failed to extend forgiveness to his equal, the king withdrew his forgiveness and restored the full debt to, toward the man. Let's be clear. We're not talking about here about salvation. But we're talking about here about the torment. What happened when you are not willing to forgive? Because you are going to be resentful. Because you are going to be feeling miserable. Because you are not going to be happy. Because you are going to be grumbling. And that's the jail in which you're going to be there until you release the other person for his wrongdoings. That's the bitterness in your heart. Imagine if this is poison and I drink it, hoping that you get the effect of the poison. That's exactly what that means when I'm holding grudges against somebody. And God doesn't want us to be a slave from that. He wants us to be free. He wants us to free us. So two truths from here. First, for a believer forgiven by God, the refusal of forgiveness toward another is hypocrisy. Since each of us has been forgiven a great debt, the refusal of forgiveness put us in a very difficult condition. Number two, believers who refuse to forgive are constantly tormented in a prison of unforgiveness. After Jesus finished this parable, he emphasized this truth in verse 35, and he told him, that's why my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Remember the prayer that the Lord taught his disciples? There is a section at the end of the prayer that says, Father, forgive us. Can you finish it? So we are telling lies when we pray? Oh, maybe that prayer should be changed. So be, apply justice to me the same way that I apply justice to somebody else. So the same way that I treat others, please treat me, Lord. That's how the prayer goes. So when we are not willing to do what Jesus did for us, we're becoming more important than Jesus. And Jesus is telling us here, don't be tormented by that. Ray Stedman says, torment is not forgiven or not forgiven. It's a resentment and bitterness eating away our peace and calmness. William Ward said these potent words. We are more like beasts when we kill. We are more like men when we judge. But we are more like God when we forgive. But the opposite is also true. We are less like God when we don't forgive. That's the story that Jesus was telling his disciples with this parable. The importance of being forgiving, forgiving. Sometimes people don't forgive others because they haven't truly experienced God's forgiveness themselves. And if that is your case, I would like to help you today. I would like to pray for you. I would like that you can make a commitment with the Lord today on Easter Sunday to understand the wonderful grace of God bestowing upon you because he loves you. It doesn't matter what sins that you have been committed. He's willing and he wants to forgive you. If you repenting, coming to him and ask for his forgiveness. Does that part 
is that people are suffering from unforgiveness because they haven't experienced that freedom yet. Is there anyone that you haven't forget, forget, forgiven? Is there anyone that has something against you? If the person who hurt you has passed away, he's already dead, you can ask God that that person can be forgiven. You tell God, I forgive this person. It's no longer on earth, but I forgive this person. If it's your father, if it's your mother, don't hold grudges. Forgive them now. Release from the burden that you're carrying. Not long ago, two brothers who live on a neighboring farms have a conflict, a problem. They were working for 40 years. They were sharing everything together. And one day, they had one misunderstanding, and they have a fight. And they didn't, want, they, they didn't decide to speak to one another. One morning, the older brother saw that the younger brother was carrying the bulldozer and destroyed the meadows that was in between the two farms. And he got upset. He was angry when he heard the knock on the door. And when he opened it, it was a man carrying carpet and tools. And he asked him, do you have any job in your farm for me? I'm a carpenter, and I would love to help. The older brother says, you know what? As a matter of fact, I do. Do you see that farm across the little stream? That's my younger brother. You know what he did to me? He destroyed the meadows, and, and now he's building this stream so he can separate our farms. So I'm going to do something. I'm going to stick it to him. You see that pile of, of lumber that I have there? Make me a wall two meters, I mean, not two meters, two feet tall, two feet tall, all the way, all the way. So I don't want to see him. I'm trying to convert meters. Six, Six feet, double that, please. <laughs> Twelve feet, because I don't want to see the other house. So the carpenter was looking at him and saying, hmm, I know what you mean. So give me everything that you have, and I do what you want me to do. When the man went to the town to get the rest of the supplies to build that wall, what he saw was astonishing. Instead of a big wall, what he discovered was a beautiful ornate bridge across the stream. He was so upset with the carpenter, he was about to kill him or do something with him when with the corner of the eye he saw the younger brother coming to him running crossing the bridge and when he went closer to the other brother embrace him and kiss him he says brother you are an amazing man after I what I did to you this is the way that you pay me instead of blocking me you build a bridge so I can come and talk to you thank you brother and they embrace and they forgive one another when they were talking, they were sobbing, they were reconciled. The carpenter was picking up his tools and he was leaving. So the other brother turned around and says, don't go. There are more projects for you here in the farm. And I said, no, my work here is done. There are many other bridges to build. Do you know that Jesus was more than a carpenter? Do you know that one of the wonderful things that he does is precisely to build bridges and no walls? 
Do you know that's exactly what he did on the cross? In that cross, he was able to build for you the largest bridge that nobody can break. So you can come closer to him. So you can go to him. That's the one that we worship. That's the one that we celebrate today on Easter. Easter, the power of Easter, it means that you are forgiven if you ask the Lord for forgiveness. As many times as you want, you are forgiven. So it's time to stop dragging that sack. It's time to stop pulling that thing. You need to bring it to the close. And we're going to do something special today. I'm going to invite you, whatever wrong that you have done, toward God or toward any other, whatever wrong somebody has done to you, it's important that you lay it at the feet of the cross. Right there, you see buckets with rocks. There are a lot of stones. While you listen to this wonderful song, music in the background, make a commitment with your Lord. Grab a rock, put it on the front of the cross, and in exchange, got one of those flowers and take it with you as a memory of the commitment that you're doing with the Lord today. So as you stand up, and I ask you to do it, there might be something that you want to put in the front of the cross. There might be something that you want to lay there and don't take it with you. Either it's a forgiveness, either it's an asking for forgiveness, even it's a vice, even it's a sin, even if it's a bad habit, whatever, just lay it on the foot of the cruise. And this is a practical application of the power of resurrection for you and me today. So I will invite you to stand up today. I will invite you to make this a practical application in your life. Just think about what is the name that you're going to put on that rock. And with a humble heart, you can lay it at the foot of the cross. Father, thank you, Lord, for Jesus. As we celebrate Easter and remember the ultimate sacrifice of your Lord and Savior, our Lord and Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ, we got this opportunity, Father, to, to lay down our heaviness at the foot of the cross. As an expression, Father, of my desire to, to follow you, to obey you, to do exactly what you has asked me to do, to be like Christ. Heavenly Father, you are aware of the conflict that I have, what I am facing right now at work, at home, with my parents, with my children, with my relatives. I want to find peace, Lord. And I desire to to, to feel your peace in my life so I can extend it to others as well. Dear Lord, today I accept your forgiveness. I accept your peace. And I open my heart to you, Father, so you can fill it with your love and take away any bitterness and resentment that I might have. I pray that you can feel Help me to become a bridge builder instead of a wall builder. Please give me the courage to take the first step and confess my responsibility in the conflict. Help me to attack the problem instead of the person. And help me to seek to understand your perspective and the other person's perspective as well. I pray that I will speak the truth, work towards resolving problems, and focusing on reconciling instead of disagreements.
And I ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ.